Colloquium, Episode 10, That Kind of Western, Jay Ferber on Copperhead. Welcome to Colloquium. My name is Marcusan, and this is my comics creator interview podcast for Sequart. I recently had a chance to talk with Copperhead writer Jay Ferber. Jay has worked in comics for 16 years, first scripting the series Generation X and New Warriors for Marvel, and then Titans for DC Comics. In 2002, he moved to creator-owned work, writing a number of critically acclaimed series for Image, like Noble Causes, Dynamo 5, and Near Death. He's also been busy working in television as a writer for former CW series Ringer and Starcrossed. For this interview, Jay and I discussed Copperhead, his brand new sci-fi western series for Image Comics. I talked with Jay about writing Deadwood in space, working Marvel-style, the industry shift to create our own stories, and what the hell kind of animal Officer Boo actually looks like. Hello. Jay, hi, this is Marcusan. Hey, man. How's it going? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. I just bought uh, tickets to one of my favorite metal bands. Nice. And it's my cat's 19th birthday. Oh, my God. <laughs> the one old cat. Yeah. I'm hoping I get a few more years out of him. Yeah, definitely. Well, thanks so much for being on my podcast. Sure. Um, it's funny because when I was sending out the interview, I remembered that I had done one so long ago. It's probably like 10 years ago since I did the last one. Yeah, I know. God, I'm trying to think of even when that was or what book it was. But yeah, it's I, I recognize your name. But yeah, it's been a long time. <laughs> well, great. Well, let's talk about Copperhead. Sure. Um, for people who might not know about this series, how would you describe it to them? Uh, it is a, a Western that happens to take place on an alien planet. Uh, it is in the 24th century. It's, it's on a planet called Jasper and the town that the show, that the show, that the comic takes place <laughs> in is, uh, is called Copperhead because it's, it's a town that's built up around a copper mine. And it, uh, the, the center of the book is a woman named Clara who is the new sheriff of this town. Uh, the first issue uh, uh, shows her arriving in town as on her first day as sheriff, along with her young son, Zeke. And, and we kind of get to know the town and, and meet its inhabitants through her. So it's, uh, it is thematically a Western and uh, sorry about that. Um, right. It is thematically a Western and uh, it, it, but, but with the kind of, alien uh trappings uh there are alien characters and science fiction elements but but at its heart it, it is a, a western mm -hmm. so how long have you been developing the story of copperhead jay is it something you've been working on for a long time i've, I've had the idea for a long time uh I, I had the idea sitting in my uh just kind of in my idea list for years and years uh but i didn't really start developing it actively until a, maybe a year ago uh 
actually maybe two years ago. I think it was sometime in 2012 with um, uh, my with the artist with Scott Godlisky. We uh, wanted to do something together, and I, you know, we had a couple different ideas, and I mentioned this, um, uh, you know, this this Deadwood in space is how I pitched it to him, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that's pretty much all he had to go on, and uh, you know, he wanted to do it, so then we we actively developed it together in terms of coming up with the details about the world, the kind of world building and, and the characters themselves. Uh, so it's been over the past year and a half to two years. Mm-hmm. Well, as you mentioned, Copperhead mixes elements of science fiction and the wild West. So what compelled you to create a book with this genre mix? I think it was just that it was a, uh, I, I'm, I'm neither a huge Western nerd nor a huge sci-fi nerd. I'm, I'm more of a crime guy and a superhero guy. Uh, are probably my top two uh, genres, mm-hmm. but I, I wanted to to exercise different muscles and, and stretch myself as a writer and and try to play in this world. Uh, I thought it would be interesting. Uh, and you know, as I said in the in the editorial in the first issue, I mean, it's I, I'm not claiming to be a, a visionary in terms of of being the first to uh, merge these two genres together because I'm far from it. I mean, everybody from Gene Roddenberry to Joss Whedon have have done it. Uh, long before I got there and, and to great effect. So it, it, I, I just wanted to, to see what would happen if I played around in the, in that kind of sandbox. Mm-hmm. But it does have elements of crime too. So you're, you're using some of the things that you know, and then bringing something new. It does. Definitely. Definitely. And, and, and I will say that the first arc has more of a crime procedural feel than the book will have going forward. I think mm-hmm. uh, it was, uh, you know, it was a nice framework to use to to set things up, but I, I don't know that we'll be following a strict kind of case of the week kind of formula uh, right. going forward. You know, that kind of reminds me of Fables, because mm. the the first arc was, uh, you know, a crime that had to be solved, but then after that, it you know went all different directions. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, well, Copperhead is to me a different kind of sci-fi western than we typically see. Uh, we usually get a Western, whether it's in space or not, uh, that's focused on characters that are on the run or mm-hmm. moving from place to place. Right. So why did you decide to ground Copperhead in this mining town on a distant planet? Uh, I think part of it is because so many of the Westerns that, that get done in, in the sci-fi realm are uh, 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 nomadic approaches, basically. It's mm-hmm. It's both... I mean, I know that Star Trek was pitched as wagon train in space and Firefly was very obviously, you know, didn't have one setting. I mean, the setting was the ship, but they went to different places. And, and I wanted to do kind of the, uh, uh, you know, the Deadwood or the Tombstone or the uh, Gunsmoke where your setting is a town. And, you know, we may stray outside that town, but not very far, not very wide. Uh, and, and the stories come from the people in that town and the strangers who visit that town. You know, I, I wanted the town to be uh, a main character and, and to have it be that kind of Western where you've got the, the archetypal characters, you've got the saloon keeper and the doctor and the sheriff and, you know, the notorious gunslinger and the, the shady uh, tycoon and, and, you know, all those things and, mm-hmm. and kind of play with those archetypes and, and trappings. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Star Trek and the thing that came up in my mind first was deep space nine although Uh that doesn't seem as much of a western to me right um, but it has that stationary spaceport yes um 
But it actually, uh, Copperhead really reminds me of a current show that's on now called Defiance. Have you seen that show? I have not. I, I know of it, and I, I know the basic premise, but I've never never actually watched a, a minute of it. It's really good, I think. It's uh, Rockne S. O'Bannon, who right. created Farscape. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah, which is my favorite show of all time, actually. Oh, nice. Um, but, it, I mean, it has different alien races living together and getting along. It has, you know, the interspecies issues and prejudices. It's set after a war. There's a mining town. Right, right. Yeah. Um, it's really uncanny, really, because obviously, you know, you're developing it on your own and they're developing yeah. theirs on their own. But yeah, it's a good show. It's it's I, I'm sure it is. And but but sadly, the fact that there are that many similarities kind of ensures that I can't watch it now. Like I, I can't just because like, I, I don't want to be like, oh, crap, they're doing this. Like because right now I have the uh, uh, the veil of, of ignorance in terms of mm-hmm. I mean, if there is something that's really similar to it, it's a coincidence. Uh, if I watch it and find out that they're doing something that that is really similar to something that's happening in the copperhead that's at the printer right now, like I'm screwed. Like I, I you know, I, I, I best <laughs> keep, keep my distance from it uh, for those reasons alone. But I mm-hmm. hear it's great. Rockney is amazing. I, I had the pleasure of, of uh, having a meeting with him once a few years ago. Oh, great. Great guy. Super smart, super talented writer. Mm hmm. Well, you said you didn't really have much of an affection for Westerns, and uh, Copperhead definitely seems to lean heavily toward the Western side of the, the mix. Um, but you mentioned Deadwood a couple of times. Is that a show that you enjoyed? Yeah, yeah. I love Deadwood. I, I watched every episode. And, and I mean, I, I don't know that I would say I didn't have affections for Westerns. I just wasn't hugely uh, – I'm not an aficionado like I am with the crime genre. I mean, mm-hmm. there are – I haven't seen every great Western, uh, you know, my, my knowledge is not that broad, but, uh, I, I love the, uh, uh, the iconic aspects of it. Um, you know, I loved Deadwood, uh, Lonesome Dove is another fantastic Western mm-hmm. I loved, uh, uh, you know, uh, Tombstone, uh, Silverado, uh, you know, uh, The Magnificent Seven. Um, you know, there, there's, there's a lot and, and it's, and yeah, Deadwood is something I watched and it, I realized, of course, I'm, uh, complimenting myself by pitching the, the book as Deadwood mm-hmm. in space because that's uh, David Milch is, uh, you know, an amazing guy and, and we are, <laughs> uh, nowhere near that level, but it, uh, just, just in terms of, uh, again, those kinds of characters and, and, you know, it's a nice shorthand to, to, to sell the book, but, uh, but I, I, I did really like the show. I mean, Timothy Oliphant was fantastic. And, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, you know, as was Ian Machine and everybody else uh, did a great job. I wish they would have done the movie, though, to finish it off. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I know. It, it, it really never got the send off it deserved. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm glad that you mentioned Tombstone, too, because that has some of the best lines of dialogue ever. Just funny, yeah. hilarious, ass kicking dialogue. It's been a while since I've seen it, but I, I need to get back to it. Uh, I saw a – what did I watch recently? Some Western – some documentary about Wyatt Earp. And, uh, you know, they interviewed various experts and, and historians. And one of the people they interviewed was Kurt Russell. And, and just hearing him, he's obviously like a real uh, – not authority, but that he has – a it wasn't just a role to him. He has a lot of affection for this guy and, and really – studied him a lot and, and just his enthusiasm for Wyatt Earp and the myths and the, the, uh, the accuracy around him was, it was kind of infectious. 
Right, and the mustaches in that film yes. were fantastic. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right, well, let's talk about your characters in Copperhead a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, it centers on a strong protagonist uh, in Sheriff Clara Bronson. Um, there seems to be a lot of talk about how women are portrayed in comics and film these days. Did these cultural discussions factor into developing a woman as the central character of Copperhead? You know, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe on some level, subconsciously, uh, but it, it was, I honestly can't remember if it was my idea or Scott's idea to, to make our sheriff a woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I really don't know. And, and I was just with him just the other day and, uh, yeah, we, we, we can't remember. Um, so it, we, it wasn't something that we did to make a statement or to, uh, fill a quota or, or, you know, check off a box or anything. It, it just gave us uh, a, a lot of stuff to play with. It, it was an interesting dynamic. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, I think it says something about the world Copperhead exists in that she is a sheriff and, you know, we're, we're two centuries, three centuries uh, ahead of us of where we are now. We're in the 24th century and there's still sexism that, that she has to deal with like that. That hasn't been eradicated even in that long Right. Uh, you know, I think says something. Um, so you're conscious of it now. Yeah. Oh, sure. Sure. In, in terms of, I mean, it's not, it's not one of these things where I just wrote a guy's role and, and decided to make her a woman. I mean, it, it was a woman from the get go and, and that informs all of her dialogue and her personality. And, and she is, I hope, well-rounded. I mean, she's a, a good mother and can be very maternal, but she's also, as we've seen, I mean, she can be kind of abrasive, especially with boo. And she's kind of, uh, stubborn and, and has a bit of a chip on her shoulder, feels like she has something to prove, you know, so she does definitely has character flaws, uh, that, that, that she's not just this virtuous, uh, character. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that she's a mother, because to be honest, what struck me more about Claire isn't that she's a strong female lead, but that she's a single mother. Yeah. Uh, I thought her being a parent presented a different, and intriguing perspective at the very beginning of the book because it instantly made me interested in their backstory without you really having to say a lot about it mm. and it uh it made me curious about how clara will be able to balance being a badass and being a caring parent yeah so can you talk a little bit about your thought process for establishing clara and her son zeke yeah she's uh i i did want to, to show that, that she can be both, that she can be, you know, she obviously, uh, I don't want to say dotes on him, but, but she, she's, she's a good mother. I mean, she, she has his best interests at heart. Uh, and, uh, and I did want to try to explore the balance of, of, of just that, of what you said of, of her being, you know, the lawman in this town, so to speak, and, and also having a kid at home that she's to take care of. Uh, mm-hmm. we're, we're going to introduce, uh, by, by the end of this arc, you will meet Zeke uh, has basically a nanny that we're going to introduce uh, somebody to, to take care of him during the day. Or if she gets on a call in the middle of the night, uh, you know, she, we see in the first issue that she leaves him alone. Uh, and that's not something she's going to repeat. That was kind of a uh, uh, an unavoidable circumstance. Uh, so it's always something that's going to weigh on her and, and be part of, of every decision that, that she has to make. Now, is this nanny going to be somebody from the town or somebody that she knew from her prior life wait and see is all i can <laughs> okay. say to that it uh i, I think it'll i think it's going to be a fun little reveal uh when, when it happens it happens in issue five so it, it's a little ways away but 
but and and the the, fir- the first arc is the first five issues, and it takes place in a pretty compressed period of time. It's only a day or two in the, in the span of the book. Mm-hmm. Well, Clara mentions that they had to leave their last home and that they need a fresh start. Mm-hmm. Are we going to be seeing the backstory for Clara and Zeke anytime soon? We will. Uh, not super soon. Um, uh, let's. I'm trying to think. My plan is to dole it out slowly over time. Like I, I, I don't think you're going to get all the answers right away. It's not going to mm-hmm. be one big exposition dump. You'll, you'll get pieces and a large picture will start to take shape. So you will, you will get pieces over the course of the first year. And then I think by, by this time we start year two, you'll have a pretty clear picture of just why she had to leave and, and what the circumstances were that, that surrounded that. Yeah. I mean, I'm really intrigued by it because, you know, who's the father? Why did she leave? You know, there's right, a lot of mystery right. surrounding that. Exactly. Uh, but there's a lot that you have to establish right into that town um, yeah. before you can get to it. Yep. All right, so another important character is Deputy Boudroxafinicus. Very good, yes. <laughs> I said that right? You did. <laughs> so he's serving as the interim sheriff when Clara arrives to take over, right. and that immediately causes tension between them. So what inspired you to create the Boo character? Uh, I think that was another discussion with Scott. We have this long string of emails where we just bounced ideas back and forth and, and built off of each other, and... We had the idea that, that there had been uh, – I, I think I knew that I wanted her deputy to be an alien. And I think it might have been Scott who came up with the idea that it's kind of a post-war setting. And basically the war was between humans and booze people, and booze people lost, and they're now sort of second-class citizens. Uh, so he is prob- arguably more qualified to be sheriff than her because he knows the town much better than she does. He knows the people, he knows the town, but yet they pass him over in favor of this stranger. Uh, so it, 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 you know, annoys him to no end. Uh, and, and, and we'll learn more about the war and what roles Clara and Boo played in the war. If, if, if they, if they had roles to play, uh, we'll, we'll learn more of that going forward as well. And, and that'll help to inform both the backstory and also their current dynamics. Mm-hmm. Well, I love how Boo reacts to Claire with this droll sense of humor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is his personality modeled after anyone you know? Uh, no. I mean, I, 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 don't, I don't think I've ever modeled anybody after anybody I know personally, at least not consciously. Uh, I just think that he's fun. I, I like a good dry wit. And, uh, uh, you know, it's just I, I – even in a drama – or uh, something heavy. I, I like to punctuate it with 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 humor, and and Boo is a great way to do that. Just he's a nice foil for Clara, who has so far shown no sense of humor whatsoever. Uh, so Boo uh, can can kind of let the air out of the situation occasionally. Yeah, she does seem pretty tense. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, I also really enjoy the character design for Boo. Mm. Um, I think when people see aliens, they try to make sense of them in some way to equate right. them to something familiar. Right. Uh, especially with humanoid aliens like those in Copperhead. Um, so I did that with Boo, and <laughs> I honestly have no idea what the hell he looks like. <laughs> so yeah. were, were there any particular Earth animals that uh, you and Scott uh, modeled him after? I don't think so. You know, Scott and I did a signing just two days ago, and somebody asked him where he got the idea. Because this was all Scott. I mean, it mm-hmm. was, I just said he should be an alien, and Scott ran with it. Uh he initially had, we may run it in the trade paperback or something. I, I think 
he, he at first had designs that were more like lizardy, and then he went in this direction. Uh, and I'm trying to think if I can remember what he said his influences were for Boo. He had a couple. It was a weird hodgepodge, but I honestly can't remember what they were. But yeah, he's there's there's no clear cut like I wanted him to look like this. It was just a weird amalgamation of a few different things um, um, that I again can't remember. But it was all Scott, and he did it amazingly. I mean, I, I think Boo has become a a favorite of both of us. So uh, it'll it'll be a struggle for him not to just take over the book. <laughs> I think he's gonna be a reader favorite too. <laughs> I hope so. He kind of looks like a horse dog with hippo ears. <laughs> if I had to, uh, yeah, yeah, explain it. Yep. Yep. Um, well, you mentioned that, uh, there was the war and that, uh, Boo is basically a second class citizen now. Yeah. Um, and you also have the artificial humans called Arties, uh, right. by Clara. Um, so I'm interested in this because Clara is a woman and you also mentioned there's still sexism, uh, going on even in, you know, this future. So is there some kind of common ground as minorities that Boo and Claire are going to be able to uh, relate to each other better in the future? Uh, maybe at some point, but it, it's, I mean, I'm a white guy, so I can never speak firsthand about uh, discrimination, uh, mm. you know, but I think it's not uncommon for other discriminated people or, or minorities to also like, Rather than find common ground with people, I think a lot of times they will take it out on another minority or, or, you know, that they'll be equally as discriminatory at times. Uh, uh, and, and so I, I guess that's my way of saying that they, so far they have not found common ground because of that. Like mm-hmm. they have their own, uh, mainly because of the war, they have their own, uh, uh, prejudices that they have to get over. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I think if anything, I think, the badge is more of a common denominator for them than uh, being minorities or being discriminated against at this point in their relationship, at least. Right. And, um, you know, what's the idea behind the artificial humans, the arties? Uh, that was, I think, another Scott idea about having like these genetically engineered soldiers that the humans basically made to fight the war for them. Mm-hmm. So most of the fighting was done between booze people and the arties. And then once the war was over, it was like, Oh, now what do we do with them? So they've, they've kind of, uh, you know, we mentioned a court case, uh, that, that granted them equal rights, but they're still also discriminated against, uh, by just the, you know, the, the humans in general. Uh, so they're kind of directionless. I mean, a lot of them have found work, you know, as soldiers or as hired muscle in, in various places, uh, and one in particular will become a, an important character in the book. Uh, we'll get to know him a little more in issues two and three. Uh, and uh, but but yeah, it's just another interesting facet. And uh, in, in addition to Scott's design contribution, Ron Riley, our colorist, you know, we thought it would be cool if the Arties are chameleons, so their skin color changes based on their surroundings, and that's something that we never spoke about outright in the book. And some people thought Ron made coloring mistakes on various pages, but no, those are all, if you notice their skin color, it's always the same as whatever they're standing in front of. <laughs> you know, that's funny. Cause I did just notice that when I read it for the second time, uh, yeah. cause it kind of looked blue grayish. And then there was right. a, like a pink scene. I yep. thought, Oh, it's the yep. lighting or yeah, yeah. you weren't quite sure, but that's really cool. Right, and it makes right. sense. You know, if they're going to fight a war that they would have that kind yeah. of predator technology. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. 
Awesome. Um, all right. Well, let's uh, talk about Copperhead the town a little bit. Um, is there anything particularly special about this town, or did you just design it to be this out-of-the-way backwater place? Is that something we're going to explore? Yeah, I mean, so far we haven't seen a whole lot of the town. I mean, that'll come, you know, as the book unfolds. Uh, it is a town that has been, uh, that exists to serve this copper mine. This, you know, the copper mine is much bigger than the town in, geographically. Uh, and everybody, mo- not everybody, most people in the town work at the mine. Uh, you know, but you've also got that, like I said, like the, the people who own businesses there to support the mine. Uh, we mentioned in the first issue a mayor who we have not yet met. Mm-hmm. And we also meet Hickory who owns the mine. And because of the, because of how many people from Copperhead work in the mine, Hickory kind of has more power than the mayor. Uh, so that's an interesting dynamic, uh, you know, just because of, of who he is. Yeah, uh, he seems like he's going to be an important part going forward. He's yeah, going to butt yeah. heads with about everybody in the book. You know? He does. I mean, the first arc, he doesn't have a whole lot to do. Uh, he, he kind of, we introduce him and then kind of set him on the back burner for a while. Mm-hmm. But yes, he, he is a, a, a crucial member of our cast. Uh, and, uh, well, he's got to wait and assess what Clara does. Yes, exactly. 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 And, and see what impact it has and, and whether he can use her or not. Is she a threat? Is she somebody that he can exploit like the previous mayor? Uh, so yeah, it, it, it's it's an interesting place, and I think Scott has done a great job designing it as a as both kind of a dusty, grimy town, but also with some you know modern uh, upgrades, you know the, the alienness of it all. Mm-hmm. And what's the deal with copper? Is this uh, a precious metal in this time? Uh, I mean, I don't think it's it's super precious, but it is. I think I conceivably it is something that that we still use in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, I mean. To be perfectly honest, it's just a cool name for a book. <laughs> so we decided <laughs> that it's a copper that it's a copper mine. The uh, the book was originally going to be called Frontier, and uh, it was in development for so long. Some other book came out with that title, uh, just a little small press thing. But we decided not to uh, to to try to butt heads with them over it. Copperhead's way better title, actually. Yeah, I, I, we we agree. I mean, it was a, it was a it was a very fortuitous. Uh, uh, conflict. And then we, I think, I can't remember if it was my idea or Scott's idea to name the town that or to call the book that. But the idea being that like the, because of the town and the geography, it's sort of, it's a copper mine, but it's also snake-like in its mm-hmm. shape if you were to look at it from above. Uh, so yeah, and it, we're much happier with, with the title this way. It also reminds me of the uh, G.I. Joe character. Because when I was growing up, that was one of my favorite characters. Was there a Copperhead? I don't remember him. Yeah, huh. he he uh, he had like a green mask. Okay. Uh, I forget. I mean, he had like black and green outfit, and he okay. drove like a swamp vehicle. Oh, I vaguely recall. <laughs> I, I had the GI Joes when I was a kid, but I. Huh. <laughs> now I have to look him up see if I remember him. I, you know. This is, I just thought of this too, but I've seen two different logos for Copperhead. Um, one had like, um, Saturn in it and, uh, yeah, the, the yeah. new one I like a lot better, but it yeah. actually reminds me more of metal now. What was the, what was the, the change? Cause it must have been recent because it was in the previews, the, the Saturn version. It was in, yeah, yeah. What happened was when, when we were calling the book Frontier, uh, Scott worked up a logo that was Frontier, and the O in Frontier had the Saturn ring around it. And mm-hmm. we both loved it. It was cool. It was distinct. You knew you got it. 
Uh, and then when we had Copperhead, our letterer, Thomas Maurer, you know, I instructed him. I'm like, I just want a simple logo and the O in Copperhead should have the Saturn ring around it. So he worked up a few variations and, and, and we found one that, that we liked. Uh, and that's the one that went into previews. But the problem with it, I mean, there were a couple of problems with it. Number one was that the, the word frontier is so much shorter than the word Copperhead. Copperhead is so long that it takes up a lot of space on the top of the book. Right. And so the O with the Saturn ring made it that much more crowded. Uh, and so in between the book being in previews and us going to print, Image contacted me and they were like, can we take a crack at this logo? Cause you know, we're not crazy about it. We think it can be better. Uh, and that is not a slight to Thomas, our letterer at all, because Thomas was doing what I told him to do. <laughs> it was, it was, it was on me. I was the one who was so in love with the Saturn circle. Uh, so we let them take a crack at it. And I had told them that I really wanted to keep the O, the, the ring around the O and they talked me out of it and came up with this version uh, by Drew Gill, who is Image's production artist. And uh, yeah, we, we love it. I mean, I, you know, it's one of those things where if, if enough people tell you you're drunk, stop drinking. I was like, I gave up <laughs> that the O on the, uh, on the Saturn ring. And that would look cool on frontier, but I mean, the co- new Copperhead logo looks a lot more Western. It looks more rough. It does. It does. It's got a nice texture to it. Yeah. I should have, I should not have, uh, insisted on that but uh, that's why i'm a writer and not a graphic designer (laughs) all right well uh, back to the town i mean um can you talk about some of the other townies that we might meet you mentioned there's going to be a nanny in there are there other characters that are uh, coming up yeah we we meet the town doctor in issue two uh doc mosley uh and he's a lot of fun um uh you know i don't want to say too much about him because i want you to experience meeting him Mm -hmm. uh we also are going to introduce, I mean, he doesn't do much in, in this arc, but, uh, uh, I, I wanted to play around with gender roles and gender reversals in the idea that we introduce a guy who is the male version of the Western school marm, who is usually the love interest in these old Westerns, <laughs> you know, the teacher out on the prairie who falls in love with the gunfighter. And so here we're doing that as well, but he's a guy and he's, he's very handsome, very pretty, uh, and is not a fighter and not a violent guy at all. And he's there to teach the kids of Copperhead. Uh, so we meet him in issue two as well, but, but we don't get to do a lot with him until, uh, later on. Um, who else do we meet? We meet the, uh, uh, Ishmael, who is a, one of the arties who, who will become an important player. Uh, we meet him in issue two, um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's, those are the townies that we've established so mm-hmm, far. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just sitting down to write issue six, which is the first issue of the second arc. And we're going to introduce a couple more in that issue and, and get to know people like the, the school teacher and, and, and we'll meet the mayor finally and, and start fleshing out some of these people a little more. Mm-hmm. You mentioned love interest now. I'm wondering if Claire will ever have a love interest going forward. Uh, she kind of will. Yeah. I mean, there's going to be a couple guys, uh, vying for that role. Uh, and we will also, of course, answer the question about just, uh, you know, what happened to Zeke's father. Um, and, and, Mm -hmm. you know, is he still in the mix somewhere? Uh, yeah, there, there's, you know, I, I, again, I don't want to say too much because I want you to experience it in, in reading. Well, and plus somebody vied for it in the first issue and got punched in the face. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. All right, well, let's talk about um, artwork. 
Um, you've mentioned Scott a lot. How did you uh, guys get together uh, for this series to begin with? Uh, I first saw Scott when he was doing, he did a couple books for Boom. He did a book called Code Breakers, and he did a book called Dracula, Company of Monsters. And I just loved his stuff. I just thought it was great. And, I mean, Code Breakers was a lot of uh, uh, just people talking. I mean, there wasn't a whole lot of action in the book, and yet he kept it very visual and, you know, had interesting angles and, and ways to, to keep the page alive. And uh, I had another idea for a different book that I approached him about. He said he was interested, and I even pitched it to Image just verbally, like, hey, I got this book with this idea and this artist, and showed Eric Stevenson some of Scott's pages from his boom books. And Scott was like, yeah, that sounds, or Eric said, yeah, that sounds great. Uh, and then I, I couldn't quite make the premise work. This uh, is the time travel one you talked this, about in the back yeah, of issue one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was a time travel thing, and I, I couldn't get it to work uh, in terms of, like, the rules of time travel. You know, that, that uh, any kind of time travel book is going to have tons of paradoxes and stuff, and I was getting really hung up on the logic of it all and, and just what the engine for the series would be, uh, all that stuff. Um, so it's uh, uh, something that I needed. You know, I eventually just put it aside and, and let uh, and then approach Scott with this thing and asked him, hey, you know, what do you think if we did this Western thing? And he's like, yeah, that sounds awesome. And, uh, you know, from there, we were off to the races. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, you've mentioned this. And from what I've read, Scott's very involved in the creative process from the beginning on the book. Yeah. Can you talk about uh, the collaboration? What was that like uh, in the development of uh, Copperhead? Yeah, it's great. Uh, he, he, like I said, he and I exchanged reams of emails, uh, about just kind of building the world. And, uh, um, he, uh, is a, a great storyteller. And with the first issue, I wrote him a full script, full mm-hmm. dialogue, everything. Uh, and then when I, when it came time to write the second episode, I w- issue, <laughs> I was working on a television show, so I had much less time and uh, wondered if he would be open to working on like a, uh, an issue Marvel style, where I would just send him a loose plot and he would, uh, you know, figure out the choreography and the, the page designs and how many panels on each page and all that stuff. And he did. He was up for that. And I mean, he flourished. And so every issue since then, two, three, four, five, I've written just plot first. And then I go back in and dialogue it after it's drawn. And I mean, the results are, are fantastic. So he, he's very involved with the pacing of it and, and all that kind of stuff. That's interesting. Are you going to continue working in Marvel style? Yeah, for, with him at least. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it's he says he's having fun and so am I. So it's a fun way to work. Wow. Is this the first time you've done it? Uh, no, because I broke in at Marvel. And uh, so I wrote Marvel style back then, back in the late 90s for a while. Uh, mm. And then a few times since then, I've written um, uh, sort of a hybrid Marvel style where I would write full script, but I'd leave like the fight scenes up to the artist. I'd just say like pages 10 through 14. They fight, make it cool, and, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> Lots uh, of punching. Go. Right. <laughs> Awesome. Well, uh, the world of Copperhead looks like it's going to be populated by a variety of alien life forms. So we've talked about Boo, um, but a different, a few different species pop up in issue one. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you and Scott were first developing the aliens, did you have particular ideas in mind? Uh, we didn't. I mean, the aliens are all Scott. Uh, 
uh, we'll meet the natives who I think we talk about in issue one a little bit. We meet them in issue two. Uh, and even that was Scott. I mean, I, I gave him one or two lines of description, but he, he ran with it and, uh, everything else, any kind of background alien or, or, uh, is Scott. And, and I give no description. Uh, I'll even tell him when introducing a new character, sometimes I'll even say like, it's up to you whether this person's a human or an alien, just, you know, whatever you want to do. So it's, uh, I try to let him have as much input, you know, as possible. That's interesting. Do you see aliens in your head, but then you'd pull back and let him do what you, what he wants or? Uh, no, I don't even have a picture in my head. I, I have a personality, if anything, right. but that's it. That's great that you have that trust between you. Yeah. He, it's, it's, it's well-earned. He's, he's fantastic. Well, your art team also includes uh, colorist Ron Riley, who you mentioned, and letterer Thomas Maurer. Uh, what do they bring to the book for you? Uh, I think Ron really contributes to the look of the book uh, in giving it that kind of dusty desert feel. Uh, it, it took him a little while to get there. The first issue, we, we asked a lot of him. There were he, he did a few rounds of, of drafts on some of the pages before we got a look that Scott and I were happy with. Mm-hmm. But But once that was settled, Going forward, I mean, he's colored the first three issues now. And after that initial batch, we haven't had a single note for him. Everything else is just perfect because he, he captures the, the sort of just that gritty, dusty. I mean, you can practically feel the grit on the page. Uh, you can feel it right on that first cover, I think. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That too. That too. Uh, and Thomas also is great with, with giving it. I wanted it to have kind of a mixed case font and almost look hand lettered. Uh, and as I say in the editorial, lettering's tough because you don't want to draw too much attention to it, or it'll pull you out of the story, mm-hmm. but just enough to have it work with the art on the page, and, and they've both been fantastic. Well, great. Well, it sounds like you have a really good team in place. Yeah. Um, so you've had an interesting career uh, in that you've mostly worked on creator-owned books. You started off fast writing mainstream titles, and then you went and did your own thing. Um, and today, creator-owned is huge, so I was wondering what you think of this shift to more original storytelling in comics. Yeah, I couldn't be happier. I mean, I think it's great. I think it's it's long overdue, uh, and it, it's amazing. You know, I've been doing books and image since 2001, so, you know, we're, we're coming up on, you know, almost, what, 15 years now. Wow. And uh, it uh, it's – and image is never – I mean, it was more – popular in the 90s obviously in terms of you know just units sold but i don't think they've ever been more respected than they are now in terms of uh just the kind of prestige that an image book has and i've seen it i mean copperhead our our numbers on issue one and issue two were really strong and and i attribute a lot of that i mean it was my far my biggest launch in my career and i attribute that a lot of it to just the the prestige that image carries now uh, the, the book or that the company has just come so far and, and the audience is there now that are really looking and hungry for these new creator owned books. So I'm just delighted. Mm-hmm. I mean, and given the high profile of image, do you think that some of your previous projects like noble causes would have received more attention uh, if they were launched today? Uh, I don't know. That's, that's a hard call to make. I mean, it was, you know, I, I, I maybe uh, just again for the sole fact that Image is a more, uh, uh, you know, has more eyes on it right now. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm launching a few more books in the next year or so, so we'll, we'll see how they do. What is it like working with Image on Copperhead? Has anything changed in the way uh, you guys publish books uh, together uh, since 2001? 
I mean, they've just they've gotten bigger. There, there's more people at at the office, uh, and and so there's more. Uh, it used to be a little more kind of all hands on deck. Different people would take on different tasks, and now, you know, they used to have a director of marketing who did, you know, marketing conventions, book, you know, uh, they deal with, you know, Amazon and, and the bookstores and all that stuff. And now they have somebody who just does PR and somebody who just deals with the book trade and somebody who just deals with conventions and, and appearances. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so they've just, they've, they've been able to grow to a point where they can, you know, get more, uh, more bodies in there and more people focusing on just one specific task and one area, which I think makes everybody more efficient. So it's, it's great. I mean, they're, they're doing an awesome job. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. I'm sure that contributes to their success, their rise. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, your day job has, for the last few years, has been writing uh, television. Um, yeah. Most recently on Ringer and Starcross. So, what yes. have your experiences in television been like? You and actually, you keep mixing up comics and television in this interview. <laughs> I know, I know. It's 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 because it's it's because it's really on my brain right now. Like literally, my manager is calling as we're talking. She's called twice now, so I, you know, and, and sent me an email saying call me. So I don't know what's going on, but uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's it's yeah, it's 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 great. I love it. It's uh, it's it's very different than tele than comics. I did it again. Uh, television is different than comics, just in the fact that it's so much more of a group effort. I mean. Comics are collaborative, but television even more so. Mm-hmm. With comics, it's you and your artist and your colorist and your letterer and then the publisher. Uh, with television, you know, uh, if, if, you know, when you write an episode, you have a meeting with all the department heads and it's 25 people in a room all in charge of different aspects of, of that production. Uh, so it's, it, it, it's a lot more involved to bring that story to life, but, uh, you know, they've each got their strengths and weaknesses and, and pluses and minuses. Uh, but I'm incredibly happy to be able to do both. Mm-hmm. Now, are you going to be doing more TV work soon? Uh, we'll see what this phone call is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, that's the hope. Yeah, I've got a few irons in the fire. I'm, I'm pitching some new shows, and I've been interviewing for staff gigs on other shows. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. Well, you mentioned the collaboration in TV, and you're working Marvel-style for Copperhead. So yeah. has that TV experience impacted Copperhead or your other comics in any way? Uh, not really. I mean, the, the uh, it impacted Copperhead a little bit in the sense that when you write a television script, the first thing you write is uh, what they call a story area, which is like a between one and three pages that kind of just a brief synopsis of the story that has to get approved by everybody, by, you know, the, the studio and the network. Then you write an outline and an outline is anywhere between 10 and 20 pages. Same thing. That has to get approved by everybody. And the outline just takes you through the whole story, just describes the whole story basically without dialogue. Uh and I realized, you know, in, in, in writing outlines for these shows, I'm like, these are basically, I could give one of these to an artist that he could draw. These are basically Marvel plots. Mm-hmm. This is everything you need without, without the dialogue and stuff. Uh, and I, and I, re- I got pretty fast at writing them. So I realized like, I could just, this is, I could write a copperhead like this and be done in a day and, uh, you know, just keep things moving that much quicker, uh, because I had so less, so much less time at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even now, I mean, I, I haven't been working on a show since November, uh, so almost a year now. Uh, but even then, I've kept writing Copperhead Marvel style just because it works so well for us. Right. 
Well, you've kept a pretty low profile in comics for the last few years, but it seems like you're coming back with a bunch of new projects. Yeah, that's because like I, I was never not writing. I just wanted to not solicit things until we had enough done that we could be sure they'd come out on time. So I, I was always hard at work on comics. Ah, gotcha. So can you talk about some of the other upcoming books that you've got coming out? Uh, I have a book coming out in December called Graveyard Shift. That is a... Uh, a uh, it's a one part crime, one part horror, one part romance. It's about a police detective whose girlfriend gets turned into a vampire. Uh, or it's about a girl who gets turned into a vampire and her boyfriend is a police detective. It, it I, I, you know, I'm, it, it works both ways. Mm-hmm. They're both leads in the story and it can, it, that story is told from both of their perspectives. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's a four issue miniseries. It starts in December. It's drawn by a guy named Fran Bueno, who worked on Noble Causes with me for a, a good chunk of that right. run. He drew the book for about two years. Uh, and he's just great. We've been working on this for a long time, and I'm, I'm really happy that it's finally going to see the light of day. Great. Well, before I let you go, I just have a few more questions on Copperhead, going back sure. to that. Um, sure. The first issue is sold out. The reviews yeah. for issue one are terrific. Yeah. And your book's being marketed uh, by Image as Brian K. Vaughn's favorite <laughs> new comic which I'm sure everybody asked you about. Um, <laughs> and you even mentioned this is the biggest launch of your career. Does the response to Copperhead increase the pressure on you to continue putting out a high-quality series? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the first thing I thought was like, oh, crap, I hope they don't hate issue two. You know, because <laughs> issue two is, is done. You know, it's, it's at the printers now. Right. So it's, uh, you know, I feel like I... I I raised the bar higher than I anticipated, and uh, I just hope that we uh, that we can live up to the the standard that we've set. Uh, so yeah, the, the pressure we we are definitely feeling the pressure. <laughs> I'm sure you're up for the challenge, Jay. I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> well, Copperhead's an ongoing series, but how much have you planned out for the book? Uh, I have a loose plan. Um, I, I I tend to keep it kind of loose because I like discovering things along the way uh, mm-hmm. about the characters and about where I want to go with it. Um, but you know, I, I I have a loose plan for the first few years, but but there there are a lot of opportunities for detours in those plans. Mm-hmm. Do you have an end in mind for the book? Uh no. This is a a, a true ongoing where it's it's just going to go until either we get sick of it or you guys get sick of it, <laughs> whichever one happens first. <laughs> Hopefully not with issue two. Hopefully not. <laughs> All right, and finally, what, what can readers expect in the upcoming issues? You talked a little bit about it, but... Yeah, the, the first arc we're going to learn, uh, we're going to solve that murder of, of the, the massacre that happens at the end of issue one. Uh, uh, we're going to learn who did that and why, and we're going to learn... Uh, we're going to see what happens to Zeke and Annie out in the Badlands. Uh, there's going to be some amazing chase sequences, some amazing fight scenes, uh, a few laughs, uh, <laughs> and we'll, we'll learn a little more about Clara's past and a little more about Boo's past. Uh, so there's something for everybody. All right. Excellent. Well, thank you for talking with me about Copperhead, Jay. Thank you. It's been fun. I hope you uh, get good news from your agent, and I'm really looking forward to reading the next issue. All right. Thanks a lot, man. Take it easy. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the 10th episode of Colloquium with Jay Ferber. You can find out more about Jay on his website, jayferber.com. He's also on Twitter, at Jay Ferber. For more about Colloquium, visit the Sequart Research and Literacy Organization website at sequart.org. 
Along with this cast, you'll find reviews, documentaries, scholarly articles, and many unique books that discuss and analyze your favorite comic book series and creators. Big thank you to John Raffano, who wrote and performed the Colloquium theme song. John is the guitarist for the post-rock metal band Sonhet. You can listen to the band's music at sonhet.bandcamp.com. Until next time, chums.